0: The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and
1: transform you. Hey Harvest, it's a real privilege to be able to introduce to you our preacher for the next two weekends. Uh, Pastor Marvin Brubaker, of course, Pastor Dan, our executive pastor, his dad, uh, but we go back a long time with Pastor Marvin. In fact, he was pastor to me and Cheryl in our college days in St. Thomas, Ontario at Faith Baptist Church. He married us. He baptized me. He's had a huge role in our lives. And he loves the Word of God. In fact, when I first chose as a 21-year-old to go to Faith Baptist Church, the reason why I went there is because I knew the pastor opened God's Word and worked through it verse by verse. And he was really the first model of that for me. And so I've been so grateful for his impact in my life. He has been a lead pastor, he's been a youth pastor, he's been a president of a college and seminary, and now he's the executive director of MentorLink Canada, and I know he's going to bring a strong word over these two weekends, so why don't you go ahead and welcome him as he comes right now.
0: Well, good morning, friends, and those are very kind words, but uh, most of that is true, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, he told all the good stuff, so we'll... Uh, we'll just rejoice in the privilege we have of working together for the kingdom of God. Uh, one other introductory word, I just want to say that a year ago when I was with you, this whole George Street, 7 George Street, was a big idea. It was a good idea, but it was just a big idea at that point. You were really, really asking God for wisdom. And Kay and I have just been watching with real interest and real, real joy uh, following this journey, and this morning we celebrate with you that God has done something that only God can do. Amen. Amen. Only God could do what He's done, and uh, we're looking forward to. It. And we're not going to be here Tuesday to write something on the floor, but uh, I hope many of you do that, and uh, that'll be a sacred memory in your life for years to come. So praise God for what He's done at uh, and is doing at Harvest Berry. And it's my privilege to be with you this Sunday and next Sunday. The two psalms that I've been asked to speak on out of this this series called Out of the Depths are really quite different from each other. So uh, this morning we'll listen to God talking to us because it's a wisdom psalm and then we'll talk back to him at the end. Next Sunday we'll just talk to him about... The depth of our pain and our suffering in our hearts, so uh, this morning, the uh, topic is called legacies from psalm one twenty seven one twenty eight If you have Bibles, you might want to turn there uh, i 'm not sure exactly why I was given this task on father 's day, but this is pretty close to the heart of any person that heads a family, uh, whether it 's a father in a typical biblical kind of family that uh, they describe so often in the Bible, or we have a lot of different kinds of families today. So people that head families, that are going to leave something for their family. This is for you this morning. And to some degree, all of us are like that when we're part of an extended family like Harvest. Amen? This is our family. So I hope you listen very carefully. This Psalm, 127, 28, are part of a collection of 15 Psalms. Uh, This is part of the overall structure, these psalms were called the Psalms of Ascent. And they were sung by the pilgrims as they moved from their places of residence up to Jerusalem for the feasts that they were called to attend in Jerusalem every year. You remember there were three great feasts. Uh, The feast in uh, Jerusalem were the unleavened bread feast, the feast of weeks, and the feast of harvest. So as people gathered and headed north, or headed south, or east, or west, it didn't matter which way they came from, they had to go up a hill because Jerusalem was up high in the hill. And as they walked up those hills, they sang these songs. That's why they're called the Psalms of Ascent. You get the idea? And in the middle of these are these two psalms, in the middle of the 15, two psalms, and they're a little different. They're wisdom literature. These are kind of connected to what Pastor Todd talked to you two weeks ago in Psalm 1. Remember he talked about being in a wisdom psalm, where God talks to us, and out of that we respond with, activities and words back to him. And really, this psalm, these two psalms, like Psalm 1, outline the difference between godly people and ungodly people and the choices they make in life. You all follow that, right? So the Bible talks about wise people being godly and foolish people being ungodly. Those are terms that are used. And um, it's not judgmental terms. They're more just statements of fact. You have a choice to live life one of two ways, following God or not following God. Can we all agree to that, right? You got that choice. I either join God, now some of us are still struggling, kind of figuring out where we're going, but those are the two choices we either got ahead. I'm going to stay in the way God allowed me to be because I joined Adam in sin, or I follow the way of Jesus, which is a supernatural way that comes through the new birth. So that's kind of the choice. And in this psalm, and the title, it talks a lot about the legacy we're going to leave out of those choices. Now, legacy is an interesting word, and it usually speaks of something we leave in our will to people that are kind of coming behind us. And it usually has to do with money or possessions. You understand that. But uh, in this psalm, in a wisdom psalm like this, there's a little different picture. Uh, the main focus in this psalm especially on legacy is, is what we live, what we leave in the lives of people. Not so much money and possessions and things, but it's more about what we leave in people's lives. And here we see one of the big differences again between the way of wisdom and the way that's not wise. I wonder what you're planning to leave behind. What are you working hard to leave for those who come behind you? Now, the bottom line, because this psalm was written by Solomon, 128 we think was written by Hezekiah, but two kings. But in this one by Solomon, here's what he says basically. All of our human efforts to build our own legacy are futile. They're totally futile unless God is central in our efforts. And you see, when God's central in efforts, then we kind of change the direction of what the legacy is. You follow what I'm saying? So we're all doing this to some degree. Let's just say we're doing something. If you aren't doing this, you're dead. We all are building something to leave. The question is, what is it? Are we following the way of wisdom or the way of self? That's the question. And Solomon says, any effort to do any of this that's going to make a difference in the big picture is futile unless God's at the center. You all get the big idea? So perhaps today, as we listen to the word of God, this will clarify where we are on this journey. I hope your heart's open and you'll say, well, God, I'm not really quite sure where I am in this journey, but help me make the right decision today. And I hope that you will by the end of the message. I was raised in a Mennonite culture um, and I had a great grandma and grandpa on my mother's side. On my dad's side, they really struggled. They couldn't kind of break out of the old systems. But on my mother's side, they were. And often I would talk to my grandparents. As a little boy, I used to stay with them for a couple weeks every summer. And as we talk about life, my grandmother often quoted a proverb, a German proverb. And this is what it said. Everything depends on God's blessing. Everything depends on God's blessing. And, And she'd say that about everything. And I wonder if we really believe that. Do we really believe that? I think many of us are kind of caught up with, well, but I have to kind of help God a little bit, right? And we're going to talk about that. There is a sense in which is a divine human cooperative. But let's face it, even when we join God in the work, if he didn't give us the strength to do it, it wouldn't work. You follow what I'm saying? So everything depends on the blessing of God. On goddess again, east alis galagan, she'd say. Everything. Everything. Can we come to that agreement this morning? I I hope so. I, I wonder if you really believe that. Well, let's take a look at how Solomon and Hezekiah unfold this truth to us. And so I hope you have your Bibles open to Psalm 127, 128. I have several points. My first big point is this. My natural temptation. Remember, we're talking natural. We're all born with this natural temptation. It's to build my legacy through my own efforts. That's the natural temptation. So Listen what he says in Psalm 127, one and two. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. There's one common preoccupation that I have in my life and that's to build my own success. Are you like that? It's a common preoccupation. I wanna build a sense of my own success and that's in opposition to building God's kingdom. I tend to see myself as an owner of my own life and what I'm doing. This is the way my life is oriented because that comes out of the old style of living before I became redeemed. And so I see myself as owning my life instead of stewarding my life as a gift from God. And we don't know whether the psalmist here, Solomon, when he used the word house and city was talking about the temple and Jerusalem. We're not sure, but we think that's probably true. He could have been talking about something far bigger, about building his kingdom, not just the temple, not just the city. We do know the test, if you read this carefully, the text gives the clear sense that the effort was his. That was it. I'm building a great kingdom. And that's my temptation do it all the time, trying to figure out how can I look good? How can I shine brighter in the world? You know, how can people like me more? All this building my own personal success. And I just want to say, friends, that's, that preoccupation is not new. It started in the Garden of Eden. You see, that's what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with. You want to be preoccupied with what God has in mind, or you want to be preoccupied with what you want to do And you know what they did? They chose what they wanted to do, right? They felt God was holding out on them. If they really followed God, they'd miss the best. They wouldn't become like gods. That's what Satan promised them, right? We all want to be little gods. Would you agree with that? Kind of run our own kingdom. And that's the way we're born into this world. We're all born sinful. Bible says that so clearly. With that nature flowing down to us from Adam and Eve so this preoccupation started way back then. And it's interesting, Satan has not given up tempting people with that preoccupation. Remember when Jesus was starting his ministry and he was taken out of the wilderness? One of the temptations, you can find this in Luke chapter uh, four, verse five through seven. One of the temptations was, hey, Jesus, let me show you what I can give you. And he took him up on the mountain and said, see all the kingdoms? They're yours if you just worship me. Remember that? What was he saying? Build your own kingdom. You don't need the father. Satan knew the father had sent Jesus into the world to redeem the world. He was trying to get him off track, right? And sidetracking is what Satan does to us all the time. And so here's this option they had. Uh, you have, I have. And uh, even Jesus was tempted. And of course, remember Jesus said, the word of God says, don't tempt God. I'm fully committed to him. And so I don't know where you are today, and I know where I am. I, I don't know where you are. I know where I am. I regularly have to ask myself every day, almost every day, at times during the day, am I, in this action I'm taking, in this words, these words I'm saying, am I desperately trying to build my own kingdom? Am I trying to look better? I'm trying to elevate myself, my kingdom, my empire, my success, my business, my career, right? My legacy. Is that what I'm trying to build? And if I'm doing that, is it in my own strength? Is it all about me? And I just want to ask you, if that's kind of the track you're on, how's that working out for you today? How's it working out? We'll see it doesn't work out very well. So that's one preoccupation. The second preoccupation that is I If I'm going to do that, I have to develop systems of security where I can be in control, where I can have power. I have to build these power control mechanisms as opposed to resting in the safety and security of the Father. You cannot build your own kingdom and have God's blessing on your life at the same time. And so this is what I do. I I have this track. This is my temptation. So to make it happen, I build my own. And that's what Solomon talks about, it. unless you can guard the city all you want, but it's in your own strength. is probably futile. And, and friends, we use all kinds of tools today to build our own security. We position ourselves in our company, right? So I'll be secure. Well, how good is that working today? I get to the top office, and then the company gets sold, and I'm dead meat. I, uh, I think when I'm in trouble... I've got a big enough bank account to get me through the trial, right? And they go pretty quickly. Or I, I think, you know, if I get into trouble, I've got an insurance system to cover that off, right? Or bottom line in North America, the government will look after me, right? we got all these security systems. We scaffold our life with all this stuff so I can be in control and I can build my own powerful legacy. And yet the Bible continually assures us, and we sang it this morning, that our security can only be found in God the Father. Only place. He's called our rock, our fortress. He holds us in his hands. He shelters us in his arms. This is what we have. And I hope you're being embraced by that this morning. Well, Solomon experienced both of these preoccupations. And many more as he attempted to build his own personal success and and develop a powerful, majestic kingdom with him as the king. And if you want to read about that, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 9. We're not going to turn this morning, but just write it down. 1 Kings 9 through 11. Read all these big building programs and all this wealth and power and the tons of gold that came into the kingdom every year from all over the world and, and uh, the army he built. And you remember all that? And then he married all the kingdoms around. He married the top daughter, put them in her harem. Why? To control. All about power and control. And look where it got him. A lot of trouble. Those wives he married turned his heart away from God. And I want to tell you, every time you bring some other thing into your life to try to help do this apart from God, it'll get you into trouble. Every time. Every time. Queen of Sheba could come and say, I've never seen a kingdom like this. But he lost everything. Everything. And so he could speak these words to us today in this psalm from experience in his own life. His own life tells us that all of his hard work of creating, conserving was fruitless because it all depended on him. He really lost touch with the Father. And I think the transitional thought here, and we'll read these two verses again, is that little word unless. You see, our normal tendency is to build our own temple, to build our kingdom, right? To think we can provide safety, but... Then the psalmist says, unless God's in it, you're in trouble. And so unless the Lord builds or watches over, we're in big trouble. Three times the writer uses in this psalm, it's vain, it's useless, it's pointless to try to do this without God. And this leads me to my second major point. We can't do this legacy building on our own terms. We can't. The wise person leaves a legacy of cooperating with God in his life work. That's what the wise person does. You see, a godly person realizes that my success depends a lot more on God's work than on my serious efforts. Would you agree with that? I'm not saying your efforts, your hard work is not important. That's not what the text says. It doesn't say quit working. God does not celebrate laziness. Do you hear that? You'll never find that. Read through the Proverbs. A lot of things said about slothfulness, laziness. Not one of them is good. But the tendency, and especially in North American culture, the tendency thing is my hard work's going to get it done. Just work a little harder. And so it's not that laziness is the answer. It's not that hard work should be given up. It's cooperating with God that counts. Stories told, I'm sure you've heard it, but I'll tell it anyway. Humor me. Of a gardener who was asked to fix up a vacant lot in the city. This lot was filled with all kinds of weeds and rocks and stones. It was a mess, right? Could you make a nice garden out of this plot of land? So we worked hard, made a plan, worked hard, got rid of all the rocks, put in flowers. It was beautiful. And then you know what happens. Some well-meaning person came walking along while the gardener's standing there looking at his garden and said, Wow, what a beautiful garden. Isn't it amazing what God can do? And remember what the gardener said? You should have seen what God was doing when he had it all to himself. Right? And there's a truth to that, right? It's not that it's, God's gonna do it all. We need to cooperate with God. That's the point. But don't forget, what does the German proverb say? Everything depends on the blessing of God. So we do our work. We should do our work. But we always, as godly people, remember there's an unseen, very important factor at work. It's God's blessing that matters. And God's blessing comes when I don't ignore him, when I don't sidetrack him, when I put him at the center of my life. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned his followers not to fall into a trap of self-sufficiency. Because he said, if you fall into that trap, it just brings worry and anxiety into your life. Read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 and following. And he says, like, if you go down that road, you'll become very anxious. And that's a dead end. He said, and if you want to know why it's a dead end, take a look at the birds. I can look after them. Take a look at the flowers. I can clothe them. Don't you think I can look after you? Why are you trying to do this on your own? You get the idea? And and the bottom line is when we try to do it on our own, it's futile. Failure. He actually says, don't be like the Gentiles. (laughs) And if you understand, a Gentile to a Jew was an ungodly person. You get that? It was a person that didn't follow the covenants of God. An outsider. Don't be like them. Don't be like people that reject God's involvement in their life. Be a godly person. You know, I've had the privilege of traveling to quite a few countries in the world. I just met the elder here who just got back from uh, Nigeria. And I was just in Togo and Congo, both sides of (laughs) Nigeria. And I've been to Ethiopia and the Philippines, you name it. But uh, I just want to tell you, everywhere I've gone, I've seen people that are making this choice. Trying to do it in their own strength. Doing desperately what they can. And everywhere I go, it's futile. It doesn't matter whether people are wealthy or the very poor. All trying to build their legacy. Trying to control the system. Always comes up short. So what's the temptation then? When we have that attitude in life, it says in verse two, the temptation is we work harder when it isn't going well, right? And he says, hey, by the way, that's a bad idea. If you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil. You see, the temptation that arises from working hard, from trying to build my own kingdom instead of seeking the kingdom of God is to work harder. And this is a form of slavery that many of us, we would never say I'm a slave, right? How many would say I'm a slave today? But many of you are slaves to your work and slaves to this idea of I work harder, I'll build a bigger legacy. I'll build a kingdom that everybody's going to be impressed with. And it's not the complete answer in life. It's a partial answer, but it's not the complete answer. I find interesting here, it's not that Solomon condemns rising early and working late. He doesn't say that's bad. He says, if you do them in and of yourselves, it's bad. You get the idea? If a person does this, this is my major emphasis. I don't really think God can really be involved, it's, and it 's not about god 's blessing it 's about my effort. He says that 's vain that 's useless. This trusting in self is a dead end. if god 's not present, you 're headed for a dead end. and, and it 's not that the projects are going to fail or the work has no reward. It, it honors that. But the text says, if you do without God at the center, unless he 's involved, you 're going to end up eating the bread of anxious toil. How many of you when you sit down at breakfast or meal, what's going through your mind? Is it about God's blessing or is it about I gotta work harder because I, I need there's gotta be another meal coming up, right? If I don't work harder, kids aren't gonna have clothes. If I don't work harder, they're not gonna get the big you know what I'm saying? And all that's the bread of anxious toil. Instead of welcoming joyously the blessing of God, and this is so common. I see it everywhere. People working harder and longer. They do the surveys, friends. It's true. It's true. Why are they doing it? Well, they want to leave a legacy of money and prestige. They're doing surveys now about how damaging it is that most people never get disconnected from their screen. Now, I got an old one here. I'm still a BlackBerry guy. Just laugh. Go ahead. I understand. But you know how devastating, this thing can be to life. Always with you. Always, always, always. They're doing surveys about the fact that people cannot disconnect. There's a genuine problem. People don't know how to take Sabbath. They don't know how to turn it off and get away from it. They always think there's going to be emergency. Someone's going to need me. Doesn't that sound like building your own kingdom? I read a recent survey where most Canadians do not take all of their vacation time. Well, isn't that bizarre? They work real hard to have a vacation, then they don't take it all. And so some companies, because of this lack of ability to turn off the phones and not taking vacation, there are companies now putting rules in that people have to take all the vacation they can't take their work phone with them. Got to leave it at work. How cool is that? Maybe I'd leave your... Home phone, too. Or at least turn it off for half the vacation. Or part of every day of the vacation. You know what I'm saying? We get so caught up, we think, oh, that's other people. No, it's us. Temptation's strong. And you think, like, why are Christ followers getting caught up in this? What is wrong with that? I understand the Gentiles doing that, right? Right? Me? Me? Well, we reach a turning point right at this part of the psalm at verse 2b. You see, he says, that's what could be and probably is, but here's what can be. And that is God giving you the sleep that comes from a loving relationship with him. If you have kids or grandkids, you know how wonderful it is when kids go to bed and sleep. Some of them had a little trouble last night, right? I had a little trouble with Dan and Carlos' house last night. A little anxiety, right? But we're like that. So this idea of the restful sleep of being beloved, this speaks of that unbelievable privilege that we have as the people of God, of being in the arms of a loving God, right? A loving God. The privilege of working with God reduces the anxiety. Someone has said the world struggles and snatches. The believer quietly works and waits on God. Proverbs 10:22. the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Why? Because he loves you. You can rest in that. The point here in the text is not who gets sleep and who doesn't. The point is that true success comes from God. You can rest in that. You can go to sleep with that one. In the next Psalm, we'll see that the one who is blessed is the person who fears the Lord, has this deep reverential trust in the Lord, this awe, this amazing attitude. What a privilege to be connected to the creator God of heaven and earth. Bible says the fear of Yahweh must become the central truth in our faith journey. It's the beginning of wisdom. So much of what I do drives from my desire to succeed in life. How much derives from my fear of God. Am I living for my glory or building a legacy for his glory? Am I seeking him first? And this leads me to my final point. And that is that the best legacy is a multi-generational family that follows God's ways. Now listen to carefully what I want to say. There's a little picture of a multi-generational family. Where is the picture? There it is. Looks like a bit of a motley crew. You know why? Because that's what every multi-generational family is like. You got people that look good and people that don't look that good and you got old and young and middle and right? Bits and pieces. I was, gonna, I was gonna put up a picture of my multi-generational family. I thought, now that might be too much building my own kingdom. I'm talking about from my parents now. But yeah. You know what? That's like Harvest Bible Chapel right there. Amen? This is a multi-generational family. Praise God, you get all the generations here. And so whether this is a truth for an individual family, whatever form it takes, or for this church family, okay? What we need to celebrate, what is really important about legacy building is building a multi-generational family that follows God's ways, amen? That's what it's about. That's why you're putting your money in the offering plate every Sunday morning, right? You're into that, you believe in that. That's why you're working on Seven George. That's why you're working hard in your own family and being involved in this church. And the reason is because, according to verse 3 in Psalm 127, 3, is because children are a heritage from the Lord. New ones brought into the family are gifts from God. That's why this is such a wonderful thing to be part of this multi-generational family thing. Children are God's gifts to us. It's a heritage from God. In fact, it talks about a reward from God. When's the last time you said, God, these kids in our church, these kids in my home are a reward. So often we figure they're a problem, right? They create trouble. They don't go to bed like they should. They always want more and all that. When's the last time you said, God, thank you for this gift? Those little kids that run around in church here and mess up, right? And aren't real well-behaved. When's the last time you said, thank God, that's your reward to us? And the reason is because these children are still gods and they're just given to us for a time. Do you understand that? You see, this changes the whole thing. It's not about me building my family. It's about me stewarding God's gift to me. God's gift to us, these children. And I understand that human effort's involved. Listen to me. (laughs) I understand human effort is involved in the conception of a child. And human effort's involved in bringing kids into this church in any way. But only God is capable of effecting the miracle of birth or new birth. Amen? Only God. And this keeps us humble as parents. This keeps us humble as people in the church. Every child is truly a gift from God. And as parents and grandparents and multigenerational people, we are simply stewards of these wonderful gifts from God. Our role is important, but remember, God's role is more important and he's always involved. Many times parents will come to me as I speak in various places, say, you know, I... I tried my best or, you know, I wasn't saved early in life. and My kids are a mess and I don't know what to do. And I pray and they don't pay attention. What should I do? And I don't have answers, but I do have this comment to make. Whose child is that young man or young woman anyway? Amen. Whose child is it? None of us are perfect in how we handle the responsibility. We do our best. I think stewards always had it right. Of course not. But the point is they're God's children and he's actively engaged in the life of his children. Amen? And even when we fail and things aren't going well, we can have comfort in that. Not that it makes us lazy, not that it makes us not somewhat responsible. But ultimately, it's God's responsibility because these are his children. They're gifts from him. I like what John Phillips says. And listen carefully. And I quote, when God sends a baby into a family, remember we're talking actual nuclear families or and church families. When God sends a baby into a family, it's because he has some wise and wonderful purpose in creating that particular child. Why is God bringing children into this church? So you can add numbers on... Your records, hey, we grew this year. It's because those kids, God has a purpose. Every one of them. And you're one of his kids, he has a purpose for you too. A wonderful purpose. F.W. Borum said once, and I quote, when God sees that in this poor old world, a wrong needs writing, or a truth needs preaching, or a benefit needs inventing, he sends a baby into the world to do it. And he did that over 2,000 years ago, right? When he sent Jesus into the world, he saw a need. All of us needed a savior, and God met that need in Jesus. And so then I see this interesting concept now addressed in the last two verses of Psalm 127. I gotta hustle here. These wonderful gifts, they actually become helpers and supporters in the family, according to verse four and five. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So many times we get sidetracked about this quiver business. How many quiver? I don't care. Well, what I do care about is when we actually work hard with God at the core and we are not sloppy and haphazard in our looking after these children... The text says it's like a mighty warrior. Works hard, studies archery, becomes skilled for battle. That's what we do. We become skilled in this job. We study hard. How do we know how to handle these children? What stage of growth are they in? What can we do to help create a flourishing environment for them? We study that. We think about it. Why? Because the end result is we want arrows in our hand, right? We want people that are warriors. We want people that know how to fight the battles. And parents, I just encourage you to stay focused. Keep practicing those parenting skills. People in the church here, keep thinking about what stage those kids are in. What do they need to know at this stage of life? How do we model that? How do we come alongside? Expect some failures, it'll always happen. Admit your weaknesses, your inabilities. But listen very carefully. The Bible says, when properly trained, children become wonderful tools in the life of the family to help the family advance. They become supporters of the cause. Now you understand, this is Old Testament culture and there was an absolute blessing. If people under the covenant followed God's commands, they knew that they would have children and they would be blessed. In our day, in the day of grace, it's a little more ambiguous, but the principle is still there when we do our best, when God's involved, these children come alongside. They actually strengthen the father's hands. They strengthen leaders' hands. They help them do business at the city gates. That's where they did business. In those activities, they're deeply engaged. They're involved. They're not to be left behind. Amen? They're deeply engaged. We get them early involved. And not only that, it says that, you know, when you have to stand and Actually, make some hard judgments about issues, speak to the enemy. They provide moral support. I can't tell you how supported I felt at times by my own sons, by other sons of the faith I have. As you face difficult issues, and they come along, certainly with moral support and sometimes even with physical support on those occasions. This is what children are about. They're gifts from God, and they become involved as we do our work. And so then you go to Psalm 128. I'm just gonna read this psalm because you see this picture of a well-rounded family, a blessed family of God. Follow along. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, Psalm 28, verse one, who walks in his ways. Okay, that's all of us. We have that privilege. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall a man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Under the blessing of the old covenant, people who followed the covenantal rules were assured of physical and spiritual blessings. The father was the connection to the covenant blessings. He was blessed as he feared God. A wife was generally the picture of someone who brings beauty and and provides blessing in a growing way for the family. the children described as olive shoots. Very interesting description. Because an olive tree, they're very slow to grow. They don't bear fruit till 10 to 15 years. But once they've been established, they're good to go. And they have long potential for great blessing. Sounds like kids, right? If you do the work. Wonderful word picture. But then there's one last psalm. one last thought in the Psalms. And I add a Psalm, Psalm 78, because here's the thing. Many of you are working hard in your own families to do this. Many of you are involved in the church trying to do this, but are you doing what God said? And that's raise them in such a way that they can do it with someone else. See, most of us we think our job's done when I've done it well, right? But our job's not done till generations follow. Follow with me as I read Psalm seventy-eight. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we've heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. There's a clue. Tell your kids the good and the bad. We're gonna tell the coming generation what? The glorious deeds of the Lord, his might and the wonders he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children so that, you see, the next generation. So that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell to their children. You see four generations here. That's what God wants us to do. And what are they supposed to tell them? They're supposed to show them and remind them to set their hope in God, not forget the works of God, keep his commandments so that they don't become like a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God, a stubborn and rebellious generation. This is the Psalmist David reflecting back probably on the people that came into the promised land first and then they didn't teach their kids so you had the period of judges and finally God had to get involved because they didn't follow this generational idea children must be taught to pass on their faith to the next generation. Parents, we must pass the faith that we've received to the next generation. So those who receive it will pass it to the next generation. This is the way faith is sustained in the family of God, no matter whether we're speaking of an individual family or families of families like this church family. And families take many forms and configurations today, but no matter what form it is, the truth remains We must be connected to a multi-generational community to sustain the faith of our fathers and to transmit it to future generations to come. I just want to speak very lovingly to a few of you here this morning. Maybe you're single and you wish you were married and had children and you don't. Or you've tried and you've failed. It's failed. Or or some of you are married and would love to have children, but God has not granted your request. Or some of you are empty nesters and think, you know, I did my best and it wasn't too good or, I'm kind of free of the kids. Or some of you became Christ followers later in life, and your children are not walking in the faith. Or many, there's all kinds of situations in families, and in the life of this church family. Here's what I want to tell you: God understands your longings and your pain. Amen. And he wants, he wants, desperately wants you to become engaged in the process of passing on the faith to the next generation by becoming involved in whatever way in the lives of people to see them grow so that they can pass it on. All the studies show that discipleship is the key because Jesus commanded, make disciples. And the key to successful discipleship is life on life, It's not teaching in some artificial classroom. It's life on life. I honestly, friends, am so blessed, not just because of the family I was born into and the family God's given us, but I have multi-generational families of young men and young women. Now with kids and grandkids that I've invested in, they are not part of my physical life, but they're part of my spiritual family. Because I invested in them, passed the life on to them, help them keep living it. And this is your family. This church is your family. If things aren't good, here's a place you can play an important part. Some of you need to roll up your sleeves and say, "I can do this," because God is at work in my life. Everything, everything rests on the blessing of God, and you will leave a legacy of people whose lives you've touched. And I tell you this, you will receive a greater blessing than any blessing you are to someone else if you do this. I promise you, that is the reward. Your life is blessed. So Psalm 78, the writer David talks about the content and the activities of this transmission. He says in verses three and four, the content, what we need to tell them, the glorious deeds of the Lord, his might and strength, the wonders he has done. Hey, if anybody has the privilege of doing that right now, it's Harvest Church and Barry, amen? Amen. You ought to be telling your kids and your grandkids, I was part of seeing God do something unbelievable. Amen? Ah, what a privilege to be part of that. The wonders he's done. He's shown his strength to us. We're this little group we never thought we could do. What God's allowed to do through us. Amen? Tell somebody. Tell your kids. Make sure they understand the significance of what's going on. We tend to kind of hide it. I wonder how many of you have actually told your kids what kind of a pledge you made and how that might impact the family because you did that. Let your kids enter into it. Let them pray with you. Let them pray that God's gonna do something more than you pledge because you're together and this is a family. Amen? This is, experience it. This is the content we need to pass on. And then it says, here are the activities in verse seven and eight, the activities. Make sure they set their hope in God. How are you doing that? Exposing, exposing them to opportunities to flourish. You know, church at home is far more important than church at church, amen? How are you doing with church at home? Do they set their hope in God? Don't let them forget the works of God. Tell them the great stories of the Old Testament. Tell them what God did in the New Testament. Tell them what God's done in human history since Jesus went back to heaven. Tell them what's going on in your life for now, Right? Get them to say you know this is beyond us this is bigger than us and then remind them constantly of his commandments and make sure they obey them and obedience starts very early don't let them become stubborn and rebellious so much could be said about these verses i just want to show you a little book it's this one right here it's called to the praise of his glory Uh, my parents were first generation believers had seven kids i'm number three and on their 70th wedding anniversary, one of my nephews and I put together this story of their life. Now, they had to do a little writing, but we made it look kind of neat. And, and really is. It's a story of praising God for what God has done. Everything depends on what? The blessing of God. And this is a story of the blessing of God. It's a wonderful story. I cherish this book. Not because I was part of the writing. I mean, who cares about that? It's the stories in here of a simple couple grew up in a Mennonite environment, never had more than an eighth grade education and God used them. Seven kids, many grandkids, many great grandkids. My dad died two years ago. He's with the Lord. My mother's 93. She's still alive. She prays for all of us every day. You go and visit her and she asks you questions about what's going on in your life. Now, whether you have a family like that or not, this can be a family like that. too. you amen? There's no excuse not to get engaged. My dad was often asked, I heard him asked it many times, about the success he had in raising his family. People always want to know, what are the... Rules of success, right? How did you do this, Reuben Brewbaker? <laughs> and and he was so gracious about that, and he'd say, We haven't proved anything yet. Any good is the blessing of God. And he used to say this, and it always struck me, and now I understand it. Until the next generation loves God enough to teach their kids, we've done nothing. You follow know what I'm saying? That's the way God wants his work to grow. Multi-generational. You doing your part with your generation in such a way that they know how to do with the next and the next. Why is it so often Christianity starts dying out, diminishing in the second and third generation? Why is it? Because parents aren't doing what God wants them to do. And when I say that, I understand. It's a struggle. And that's why we need a local church to surround us. It does take a village, right? To raise a Christian kid. And the village is called a local church. And so we join together. So as I wind up, I'd like you to bow your heads right now. What are you going to do about this message? The theme of the series is out of the depths. God has been speaking to us. Words of wisdom. Our loving Father has been talking to our hearts. I'm emotional. Are you? Is God talking to your heart? What's going on in your life and your circumstances? I'd like to suggest a few heart cries you could make to God right now, quietly where you are, in response to this message. Here'd be number one. I cry out to God to change my focus from trying to develop my personal success to seeking to build God's kingdom. You gonna cry out to God about that? God, make me sensitive about that all the time. Not about my success, building God's kingdom. A second might be a cry to be more aware of the work God is doing and how I can cooperate with him in building a true legacy. It is a divine human cooperative, friends. It is. But don't forget, everything depends on the blessing of God. But he wants you to be involved with him in this. Maybe your heart cry is, God, God, make me more focused on teaching God's greatness to the next generation, wherever that is and whoever you put into my sphere of influence, my own kids, my grandkids, my great grandkids, kids in this church, I want my focus to be teaching them God's greatness, modeling what it means to be a follower of Jesus in a world that's all about its own success. I want to do that such a way they can teach their own generation. And maybe for some of you, the cry is, I want to become a true follower of Jesus in an initial way. I'm not a follower. I need Jesus. We'd love to talk to you about that later. Stay after. There are going to be people up here to pray with you. What is it God's saying to you? Dear God, speak to our hearts. Do a deep work as we think about this issue of building a legacy of generations that follow you. Give us strength, give us faith, and help us to remember everything depends on the blessing of God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at harvestberry.ca. And remember, you are loved.